Let's turn in our Bible to the prophecy of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, we're going to read at chapter 52. Familiar words. Every time I read these words, I feel we're treading on holy ground. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Let's hear the word of the Lord. If you find the place, Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which hath not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall go up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. And afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes are we healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see if the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing 
this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank thee tonight for the word of God. We especially want to thank thee for this portion found in the book of Isaiah that we've read together. And, O oh God, we pray tonight as we consider another aspect of the cross that you'll open the eyes of our understanding. You'll give us light. Lord, you'll fill our minds with truth. We know it's written, the entrance of thy word giveth light. And, Lord, we pray that that'll be our experience. Let thy word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path tonight. Make thy word like bread to us. Make thy word, Lord, more necessary than our daily food. Cause thy word to be estimated amongst us as our greatest treasure. Lord, even cause thy word to be a hammer. It breaks the hardness of our heart in pieces. We ask thee tonight that thou would help us by faith to visit Calvary as we stand and gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to learn something else and something afresh, even about him tonight. And Lord, we pray also for those that listen on the internet. And we thank you for those that do. We pray for them and ask thee to bless them. Use thy word to encourage and instruct them. And Lord, any who listen or not save, save their precious soul. Any who are backslidden, restore them, we pray. And any, Lord, who are desiring, Lord, to belong to a Bible-believing church, we pray that in the fullness of thy time, according to thy will, that you might even bring them out amongst us, that we can enjoy fellowship together in a greater way. Hear and answer prayer. We plead the cleansing covering of the blood. I ask now for help. Cleanse me in that blood. Undertake for me. Lord, let no man be seen save Jesus only. And let, Lord, this church be known and noised abroad as a church that preaches Christ and him crucified. And we have no other theme by that, for Christ is all we need. Hear and answer prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, my text tonight is taken from Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm really thinking about the words 3 to 5. So Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 to 5, forms part of our text. And my subject this evening is to consider the pain of the cross. For those of you who were here last week, we looked at the plan of the cross. We based our message on Acts chapter 2, verse 23. And we discovered that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ was no accident. <clears throat> it wasn't an afterthought. It was an actual fact, part of God's foreordained plan for this world. It was God's plan from all eternity, even before the world began. Now remember I asked you as we think of the cross, we're not thinking of the wood of the cross, but the work. I just don't want you to think of the shape of the cross, but I want you to think of the suffering of the cross. I just don't want you to think of the placing of the cross, but I want you to think of the person primarily that was on that cross. And isn't it so interesting that 
Isaiah the prophet, known as the evangelical prophet, 700 years before Christ, preached a message that had to do with the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said, he's better known as the evangelical prophet. Isaiah, as a preacher, didn't preach about himself. He didn't preach about the politics of the day. He didn't just talk about the social ills in his generation. He didn't direct the people to religion. He didn't flag up rules and regulations, do this and live. He didn't set before them the customs or the ceremonies of the church at that time. No, he presented Christ. He, he preached Christ. You see, if you think of the book of Isaiah, young people, there's 66 chapters in the book, and we like to think of Isaiah as the Bible in miniature. Did you know Isaiah is a book divided into two parts? The first part is 39 chapters, corresponds to the Old Testament. The second part is 27 chapters, which corresponds to our New Testament exactly. And in the middle of the second section... Isaiah the prophet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, paints a picture of Christ on the cross. Isaiah 52, verses 13, right through to Isaiah 53, 12, has to do with the person of Christ on the cross. You see, Isaiah is full of Christ. Remember, Isaiah is the prophet of whom we read, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In chapter 9, he says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And over in chapter 32, he tells us this statement. Listen to these words. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment, and a man shall be in hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And Jesus Christ, of course, is that king. He is that rock. He's the hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest. In Isaiah 50, he says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair hid not my face from shame and from spitting. And then he invites us in Isaiah 52, behold my servant. And that's a reference to Jesus Christ. And what unfolds then is the picture of the suffering servant. And, and if you look with me at verse 3, it says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes are we healed. Isn't it interesting that the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, in his own land, a land that was weary with sin and violence. What did he do? He didn't preach religion. He didn't preach rules and regulations. He didn't say observe this custom or engage in this ceremony. No, he pointed them to Christ. Because Isaiah is full of Christ. As I've said, in his birth, the virgin birth was a sign. In, in his life, in, in his death, in his resurrection, in his kingship. It's as if he was saying to the land, look, Christ is the answer. His land, of course, in his day was in the depth of sin and rebellion to God. A land that was ruled by evil kings. A land that was robbed of light and truth by false prophets and preachers. The law of God had been set aside. True worship had been corrupted. The gospel light was largely ignored. The doctrine of God was being despised. Standards were being downgraded. People lived for themselves. They paid lip service to the things of God. Isn't it like our time? Isn't it just like life in our United Kingdom? Isn't our United Kingdom a society that's in the grip of sin and rebellion to God? And what's the answer? And the answer is Christ. Christ primarily on the cross. Now, what did Isaiah have to say about the cross? And that's what I want us to think about tonight. I want us to think primarily about the pain of the cross. You see, you're familiar with pain and suffering in the world. You think of those that suffer through sickness and in bodily pain. Think of those that suffer in pain through poverty. Think of those that are suffering because of famine and drought in different parts of the world. Think of those tonight that are suffering and in pain because of violence and hatred. And of course, when we watch our television screen and we see evidence of suffering and pain, especially in the face of children, children that we don't know, but our hearts are moved. And we shed a tear, we spare a thought, and we cry to God to be merciful. Now, now, you bring it into the context of people that we know. People that we know personally. And we have to watch. And we, we bear gently with, with empathy and have a degree of sympathy for. Now, you multiply that hundreds of times, even thousands of times, as we begin to think about the pain and suffering of the Lord Jesus and the cross. This is a massive theme. And my... Mind, of course, is not capable of taking it all in. And, and in a real sense, I feel inadequate as a preacher. And, and I'm a learner like yourselves. And I want to stand by faith at the cross. And I, I want to say tonight, as I think of Christ there in the tree, I, I want to say, Lord, teach me. Help me to understand it. Help me to take it in what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. I have three things that I want to say. I want you to think, first of all, of the reality of Christ's unimaginable pain. If you look at verse 3, 
look at your Bible, it says there, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now think of that statement. A man of sorrows. The Lord Jesus was never called a man in prayer. Now we know he prayed morning and night. He gave himself to prayer. He's not called a man of miracles, even though he performed many of them. 35 of which are recorded in the Gospels. He was never called a man of theology. He was not called a man of the people. Even though the common people received him gladly. No, he's called in the Bible a man of sorrows. And could I tell you tonight that nobody ever suffered like the Lord Jesus has suffered over there in the book of Jeremiah, well, actually, it's in the lamentations that were uttered by Jeremiah. He asked this outside the city of Jerusalem. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which the Lord hath done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. In other words... Nobody suffered like the Lord Jesus suffered. His sufferings are unequaled. His sufferings are unique. His sufferings are unimaginable. If you look at Isaiah 53 in the verse 5, you get the word there, but he was wounded. Underline that word, wounded. Now, when you think of somebody getting a wound, you think of an injury. No doubt is painful. But the word here in the Hebrew is very important. It, it can mean tortured. It also means pierced through. Now, now think of that. Think tonight of the events that led up to the cross. Think of Christ being pierced through with many sorrows. Picture him tonight in the garden of Gethsemane. And there he's left his disciples. He's gone to pray. He's there in those uh, rolling hills with the olive trees below all of it. And he's full of zeal to do the Father's will. In fact, he says, I have come to do thy will, O my God. In the volume of thy book, it is written with me. And, and as he prayed, his sweat became mingled with his blood. And he cried out to God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And that was the cup of intense suffering that he was enduring at that moment. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know the story that in the Garden of Gethsemane, in prayer, then he was arrested by the mob. Judas, of course, had come to betray him. Think of the traitor's kiss and the... Um, cross or, or the cheek of Christ. Uh, remember, of course, that Judas had betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, that, that was the price of a slave. He's taken them from that hill country to the home or the house of Caiaphas. Did you know that I, Zechariah talks in chapter 13, verse 15, that he was wounded in the house of his friends? And one shall say unto them, 
him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Did you know what happened to him in Caiaphas' house? Listen to the word of God. It says in Matthew 26 and verse 67, Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. What went on in Caiaphas' house was actually an illegal trial. It took place at night. It was unjust. And there he was shamefully treated and beaten. And, and of course, he, 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 he was taken from that house to Pilate's judgment hall. And in Pilate's judgment hall, what happened to him there? Well, listen to the word of God. It says... Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put in him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they placed it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Heal, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Can, can you get the picture here? This scourging that took place meant that his whole body was lacerated. They, they tied him to the whipping post. They took that cat of nine tails with uh, leather straps and bone and, uh, and pieces of lead at the end of it, and they, they lashed Christ. He says in Psalm 129, verse 3, they plowed my back. With long furrows. He, he says, in fact, I gave my back to the smiters. Remember what we have already read there in the book of Isaiah 52 that his visage was marred more than any man. And not only did the soldiers scourge him, but they stripped him and they put a, a scarlet robe upon him and they plaited this crown of thorns and they crushed it onto his brow. And, and we're actually told in the Bible that it was a band of soldiers, the whole band. And according to the commentators, that meant 600 soldiers. Can you picture them in the judgment hall? And, and there they are, filing past Christ, and every one of them spit in his face, and every one of them smite him with a rod, and, 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 and every one of them are derogatory toward him with scorn and derision. What, what agony and what shame. And after they had done that, then Pilate, remember, brings him out and, and, and says to them, behold the man. And then later on he says, behold your king. And they cried, we have no king but Caesar. And then, of course, they take him to Calvary. They strip him naked when they get him there. And then they, they nail him to the cross or, or the, the tree. He says... They have pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22. Can, can, can you think of it tonight? He was wounded. And, and this was only part of his physical sufferings. In fact, if you look back at Psalm 52, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now, when you hit your arm or your elbow, you might get a little bruise and it might even turn black and blue for a time. And that's what we think that that means. But I want to tell you it means a lot more than that. 
it means he was crushed. The weight of the blows were laid in him that he felt the full impact of the weight of those blows. The, the Hebrew means blows that were laid on him. It was as if they, they gathered all the strength that they had and they laid it fully in Christ. As I've said, 600 soldiers spitting and smiting and scorning Christ until his visage was marred more than any man. There's a little story told of a minister of a large church in a built-up city in the United States of America. His minister's room was at the back of the church where he had access to the pulpit. And at the back of the church, he had access to the upstairs to a flat roof. And he could go up there and stretch himself out, drink a coffee, see all around him. And especially in a nice summer's day, he could take a book up and, and, and recline and read for a time. And one evening when he was up there, uh, he was, it was a summer's evening, he was having coffee, he had a book in his hand, and all of a sudden it got dark. And all of a sudden, in a few seconds, there was an absolute downpour, and the heavens emptied itself, and the full weight of the storm burst upon him as he was there in the recliner with the coffee and the tea. He testified that he got drenched before he could make it to the door. And that's the thought of the word bruised. It's not just a little bruise that's black and blue, but Christ's body was crushed with the full weight of the blows that were, came upon him. You see, tonight it's impossible for me to glamorize the physical sufferings in the body of Christ. It would be remiss of me to try and gloss over it. But what I can tell you, that this was real. Could I add to this for a moment? The Bible tells us here, he is despised and rejected of men. It's not hard to take. Somebody despises you. Somebody rejects you. Remember, we read of, he came unto his own and his own received him not. We're told here in the scriptures Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him smicken, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. This happened in the house of his friends. He said, my own familiar friend had lifted up his hand against me. So not only had he physical pain in his body, but he had mental torture and agony in that he was despised and rejected of men. He was oppressed by his friends. His friends rejected him. And then add into that the spiritual pain. Because there's a spiritual aspect to his suffering. Read Psalm um, 22. I think it's 39 verses if my memory's right. Starting off, of course, with, 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 with a cry of pain. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We've already read here in this text of verse 4. Yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 10 tells us, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Same word, crush. He had put him to grief when thou shalt make a soul an offering for sin. You see, when men had done their worst, when those cruel hands of sinners had done their worst to Christ, God himself stepped in. Think of the three hours of black darkness in Jerusalem. And at that time, there was a cry went out. And I'll tell you what the cry was. 
The cry was based on Zechariah's prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 13, it says in verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. This is a reference to Christ. God the Father is speaking. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow. And who is that? Saith the Lord of hosts. That's the God man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the 41 references to Christ simply through the prophecy of Zechariah that's recorded in the New Testament. God's calling for the God man to be afflicted. We were singing there. Jehovah lifted up his rod, O Christ, it fell in thee. Thou wast sore stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood beneath it flowed. Thy bruising healeth me. Isn't it interesting that he didn't spare the darling of his bosom? The one that he called his only begotten son. The, the one in whom he was well pleased. God's holiness and God's justice demanded that the sinless, spotless Son of God, as the Lamb of God, be smitten and afflicted in this way. That's the reality of this unimaginable suffering and pain. I want you to think very quickly of the reason for such unimaginable pain. Why? If Christ was innocent... If Christ was the Son of God, if Christ was sinless, why? We'll look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes are we healed. Our transgressions. You know, if you see a sign in a field that says, keep out, trespassers prosecuted, you know if you climb the gate or go through the hedge, you're in danger of being prosecuted. If you see a sign in the grass in a park that says keep off the grass, if you step on that grass that the uh, park keeper is sown, you're liable to be prosecuted. Um, drop litter in Belfast and you're liable to be prosecuted. That, that, that's, that's a transgression. That, that's what he's talking about. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. The reference to iniquities has to do with our perverseness, our bent, our bias towards sin. The reference to sin has to do with um, falling short of a, a mark, failing to attain the standard. Now, now listen to this. Over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read something wonderful about the Lord Jesus. And it has to do with his cross. And this is what we read. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? You see, the Lord Jesus endured all the physical pain of the cross, physically in his body, mentally and spiritually, and he did that totally. He did it willingly. He did it voluntarily. He did it fully. He suffered it all on the tree. And of course, it was 
the Apostle Paul who took up the theme in the book of Romans in Romans chapter 8 and the verse uh, 32 and he tells us this he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with them also freely give us all things? And just as God spared not his own son, so Christ never stepped back from the cross, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It's true that God the Father sent them. It's true that God the Father gave him, John 3 and 16. But, but listen to this. He came voluntary. He said, I came to do thy will, O my God. In the volume of the book it is written of me. When the Father sent him, he came voluntary. In fact, in John 17, verse 19, he says, I sanctify myself. The word sanctify, we, we think it means holy. And it, it can do, but not in that context of John 17 and 19. When Christ said, I sanctify myself, he was talking to his father in prayer. It means that he set himself apart. He's saying, I set myself apart for the sake of my people. I devote myself to all aspects of the cross, including not only the plan, Father, but the pain of that cross. You see, he wasn't forced. There's freedom. He wasn't compelled. It was his personal choice. It was his choice to offer up himself as a once and for all sacrifice for sin. Christ voluntarily endured the pain of the cross. He, he, he volunteered himself for us. If he did that willingly for us, could we not willingly give ourselves to him? Christ vicariously endured the pain. He didn't lessen it. He had the opportunity to drink gall mixed with vinegar. And he refused it. He accepted no painkiller to, to deaden the pain. And Christ victoriously endured the pain. Remember he said, one of his cries was, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And when he died, he didn't die in defeat. By his very death, he, he conquered death, he conquered hell, he conquered sin, he conquered Satan. His death was the death of a substitute, he took my place. A death of a surety, he paid the debt that I owed to the broken law. It was the death of a sin bearer. He was made sin for us. Sin was met in Christ, the guilt and punishment of my sin was transferred to him. Christ offered up his death as a sin offering to appease the wrath of God and fulfill its justice and holiness. Remember, the wrath of God fell upon him. He had to die. He had to die this horrible death of crucifixion because God's inflexible justice demanded it. And that's the reason for the cross. Our transgressions. Can you see your own? Our iniquities. Can you see the perverseness of your own heart? The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do, do you see your sins that have fallen short of God's holy standard? And, and they were all transferred to Christ. And that's the reason for this unimaginable pain. And let me close. Our time is gone. The result of this unimaginable pain 
You think of Christ in the tree giving his life for sinners. Doesn't the Bible say Christ died for the ungodly? And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not only did he give his life for the sinners, but he was there on the cross because he had genuine love for sinners. Remember Paul said, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And do you know that tonight when Christ is on the tree, he had a longing for sinners that they might be reconciled to God. That they might know real and genuine forgiveness of all their sins, past, present, and future. A full and free and forever pardon. Did you know that he wanted them to have peace with God? Therefore being justified by faith with peace with God. And remember, we were ungodly. We were without strength. We were sinners. It's not that we loved him. It's not that we were living for him. It's not that we were longing for him. But he gave us life for us. Because he loved us and longed for us to be in a right relationship with him. And many people have entered into that. Even though it says in the Bible he came unto his own and his own received him not. It says there in John's gospel in the chapter 1 and the verse 12. But as many as received him to them give he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name which were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, after you get saved, you'll never be perfect in yourself. Your perfection's in Christ. But in Christ, you're given the assurance that you're a true child of God. In Christ, you have forgiveness of sins. In Christ, you have peace with God. In Christ, you can be conformed to Christ's image. In Christ, you can be assured of heaven. In Christ, you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. These are all the blessings and benefits for which Christ died to bestow upon his people. And you can have them tonight. You can know these benefits. But you have to receive Christ. Have you received him? Have you bowed the knee and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. Save me in Jesus' name. But as many as received him, to them give ye the power. The word means authority to become the sons of God. What a wonderful thing it is to be a child of God. And I trust tonight as we have stood at the cross and we thought about the pain, that you'll see the reality of that. That you'll understand the reason as to why who for the joy that was set before him endured it all. A voluntary, vicarious, victorious sacrifice for sin. Yours and mine. And here's the result. Sinners are welcome to receive him as Lord and Savior. I trust the Lord will bless these few remarks tonight.